It does. Uh, yeah, so I am uh, now joined by Brent Langle, who is somebody who, uh, you know, I know originally from uh, debate contexts, uh, <laughs> his uh, his work with, uh, with Modern Day Debate, um, and uh, who, you know, Brent is the person who originally hooked me up with them. Uh, he's also a graphic novelist. He's got something going there that we could hear about a little bit at the end of the uh, the show today, uh, but we're we're here to talk about Ingalls because because uh, this came up uh, in in kind of a weird way on um, on Twitter over the weekend, and you said some stuff about it. And I was like, yeah, you know this 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 feels like it could be an interesting discussion. So you you, you want to uh, start us <laughs> off with. Uh, so, uh, so originally the person who was tweeting about, about Frederick Ingalls was, uh, JK Rowling, which is a sentence that doesn't really roll easily off the tongue. So what happened there? Uh, yeah. So I was watching, uh, I, I watched JK Rowling, um, attempt to establish, uh, lefty credibility, um, and argue that all, uh, people who supported treating trans women like human beings, or I'm sorry, trans people like human beings, um, you know, were essentially inherently right wing. And uh, the way she tried to make this point was by quoting Engels uh, completely out of context, because uh, that's how such things are done. Um, the exact quote that she said, um, let me see where it is, because I, I actually I did my my research here. I have my notes. <laughs> yeah. um, all right. Where did I put that? Uh Large-scale industry, first train dispatched. <laughs> you guys are getting a little uh, preview of this. Yeah, so uh, so it, she said, I think... Here we the, found it. Yep. Yeah, so the, the quote that she gave was, these gentlemen think that when they have changed the name of things, they have changed the things themselves. This is how the prof these profound thinkers mock at the world. Um, and the context... Uh, in which this was said in, in the same paragraph uh, uh, above, which J.K. Rowling left out, was when I submitted arguments like these to the most rabid anti-authoritarians, the only answer they were able to give was the following. Yes, that's true, but there is not but but there is not the case of authority which we confer on our delegates, but of a commission entrusted. So essentially, he he's probably and we'll talk about this. Well, I don't know, Ben, I've, I've talked long enough, so why don't you respond to that, and then I'll go into yeah. um, my interpretation. Yeah, so, so, okay, so uh, I think one thing we can probably agree on is that uh, J.K. Rowling probably did not read this essay. Um, <laughs> Definitely I, did not. <laughs> yeah, mo most likely there's, like, some, like, strange quasi-Stalinist internet person who, like, brought it up on her behalf and she was like, Oh, I like that. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, cause, cause out of context, uh, I mean, look, obviously, um, you know, she's not somebody who I follow closely, but I mean, she, she is very taken up with, uh, you know, with, with, with trans stuff and, you know, and, and she, you know, and, and she, uh, you know, like is, um, you know, she's very, um, you know, like she, like she thinks, like, oh, see, this is fun. This is like a quote from Ingalls saying that, uh, that you can't change the, you know, 
change the nature of a thing by changing what you call it or whatever. And like what she means is like gender identity that diverges from uh, sex at birth. So, um, so yeah, that has nothing to do with anything. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's just the inciting incident of our story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, the, uh, so uh, yeah, that, that would be that interesting to, uh, to talk about. Uh, but what is interesting is that in the course of, you know, you're tweeting about it, I responded, and, you know, I, th- I think we have uh, very different readings of, uh, of the actual, the actual essay itself, right? So this is um, that the, the essay by Ingalls that she's quoting uh, is called On Authority. Um, and uh, it's from, uh, from 1872. Uh you know, you suggested uh, when we were talking about this before that this may have been intended as a response to a essay from like a year before, I think, by Bakunin uh, mm-hmm. called uh, called "What Is Authority?" And you know, I have no idea. Uh, I'm not. You know, I'm, I'm certainly not. I you know, like I certainly have no particular scholarly, uh, you know, like uh, uh, back uh, background on 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 this i'm just you know like there are things about marx and Engels i know a lot about this isn't one of them this is just um you know we both read this essay and you know and had different takes on it right this is this is just uh uh this is you know this is just two guys talking right now but the um but um but whether or not uh Engels is responding to Bakunin, i did read the Bakunin in preparation mm-hmm. for our discussion today and i included links to both in the uh, in the description. So whether or not, by the way, if somebody wants to not read it but hear the dulcet sounds of my voice uh, reading it, you can actually uh, look it up on my YouTube channel where I did a uh, audiobook version. Uh, you know, several several years ago, uh, before my voice uh, aged into uh, my nearly middle aged self. <laughs> Fair so, enough. Yeah. Yeah. So, so whether or not Ingalls is writing in direct response to Bakunin, I have no idea. But certainly, um, I, I think it is useful to read the two essays together because, um, you know, because Bakunin is certainly a really important representative of exactly the kind of thing that Ingalls is objected to in mm-hmm. uh, in in his essay uh, in his essay on authority. Uh, so. Um, and I think uh, so. I think that like the things that we maybe disagree about are both sort of like essentially what overall point Ingalls is making in the essay, and whether that's a whether that's at the end of the day a good point, and uh, how it um, and and then and then finally like if you do read it as a response to to Bakunin, whether it's like a a good response. So, uh, so, so I, I guess I'm thinking about how to structure this. Um, well, and we'll should probably... I give yeah. a little bit of background on this fight sure. here? Um, cause this, this goes all the way back to the, the foundation of the first international. Um, so essentially, um, Bakunin and several other, um, libertarian socialists, anarchists, uh, most famously Proudhon, uh, combined with, Karl Marx to create the First International, which was an organization where, um, you know, they basically came together uh, along with a bunch of thinkers and workers to try to deal with the problems of uh, of capitalism and what they were seeing, you know, in their time, people losing arms and legs and children being forced to, you know, work the machines and, and whatnot. Um, 
However, um, this sort of alliance uh, began to break apart, and it began to break apart about the stupidest for the stupidest reason ever. And you, you're gonna this will totally make sense if you think of these guys as like proto posters, like they would be arguing in a Facebook group, like or or Twitter. Um, and, and what happened was was that Proudhon and Marx had a fight, and their fight was over of all things book publishing rights. Um, you know, and uh, this got really, really ugly, and Bakunin jumped in because, I mean, Bakunin was always uh, somewhat antagonistic towards Marx and kind of an antagonistic guy in general. Like, if you, if you read his stuff, he's, he's, got, he's foundational to anarchism, libertarian socialism, specifically like anarcho-syndicalism and anarcho-communism. Uh, he's also the father of anarcho-collectivism, and unlike a number of people at the First International, he was a real revolutionary who, like, actually fought in real revolutions. Um, so, you know, he kind of had a very brash uh, aspect to him. Um, and also, by the way, a very good writer for the time. A little purple prosy, but um, I, think he I think he was a superior writer, writer to Engels. So Bakunin puts out his essay on authority uh, in 1871. Uh, and he uh, lays out the anarchist case against authority, first by uh, describing exactly what he means by authority. Okay, and then, we've, we've, um, already, we've already got into a key point of disagreement because yeah. uh, I just read this thing and it's, uh, I, I have to say, <laughs> I, I, I think that what he means is pretty unclear to me. Uh, so, uh, or, or, or actually, maybe, maybe, maybe let me say that more carefully. Um, I think that it's um, – I think there's like a straightforward reading of what he means that would actually make Engels' response pretty fair. Uh, and uh, and if there's like a sort of subtler, more charitable reading, uh, it's uh, it's a little bit unclear to me. So uh, yeah. in um, – so Will, will in you the... talk about that if we have time? Uh, yeah. I, I'd love to get into that. Yeah, um, so, so, so I guess let, – let me just say this because I want to do – I want to give, um, you know, I want to, I want to have like a, a few minutes of like just us talking before we open it up to anybody who wants to call in. Uh, and, and I don't want to go uh, too long this afternoon if we have to do a part two, you know, next week or whenever you're available, I'm, I'm good with that. But they have a, um, but, um, but in the, like, um, Bakunin in this in this essay, which I just read, he mm -hmm. uh he says a lot of uh to my mind at least slightly confusing things about, you know, natural laws and what it means for societies to follow natural laws and uh and all of that. And there's some there may be some is uh, some philosophical uh mystery there to uh to what he's getting at that uh, that maybe you could help clear up if we if we have time. But definitely. Uh, but what the um, but the the sort of point that seems uh, most relevant to thinking about Ingalls because if Ingalls did did intend this specifically as response to Bakunin's what is authority essay uh, then uh, then he's not uh, like Ingalls is not really interested in the sort of like conformity to natural law part of it right they have a mm -hmm. Like if he's intended this as a response, the part that he cares about is this is the democracy part of it. The uh, the, 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 the political, 
Yeah, 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 exactly. The part about political authority. Uh, and, and to some extent, you know, economic authority because, because, because uh, what they, um, you know, of, you know, he and Bakunin, uh, by the way, uh, another footnote to what you just said. Uh, one thing Ingalls and Bakunin have in common is they, they both actually fought in, oh, uh, really? in, in, uh, in 1848. Yep. Uh, the, oh, my uh, bad. I, I, I did not realize that about Engels. So now I sound uh, silly. <laughs> well, uh, Marx did it, you know, if, uh, mm-hmm. You know, Karl Marx never left the study unless he was going to the bar, but they have a, uh, but, uh, so, you know, he, he definitely was never, you know, was never present when anybody was firing a weapon in his life, but they have a, uh, uh, but, but Ingalls actually did, um, in 1848, not after that, but the, uh, but in any case, um, so like, so, but one thing that these, you know, another thing these guys have in common, of course, is that they're both advocates of, you know, some form of socialism, of, you know, collective ownership, which would, you know, which would sort of extend the political authority question to, to economics, right, to, to workplaces. Uh, and, um, and so, yeah, he's interested in that kind of authority, the sort of, you know, like the question of like, you know, government authority uh you know authority like managerial authority in workplaces stuff like that uh and on that question it seems to me at least uh that in the bakuda essay uh he takes a pretty absolute line like the only kinds of authority that bakuda will sort of acknowledge being okay with are the authority of nature, not as interpreted by any human being, but just just as it is in itself. Uh, you know, he's, he's very concerned to show that there's, you know the authority of nature shouldn't mean like the authority of scientists who know a lot about nature uh, in in any kind of like sort of uh, directed society way, uh, and and like epistemic authority, the uh, the the authority of experts in the sense that like you'll defer to their authority, meaning that like you'll you'll ask them about things that they're experts in and, and, and you'll trust that they're right. You know, th- those are, those are the only kinds of authority he, he yeah. seems to be conceding that are legitimate. Right. But he is, is very clear in there that he thinks that um, authority of the kind that's like making laws or, uh, or, or directing society in any way, you know, um, that you know, he uses phrases like directorial, like that. That kind of authority is all is all not okay. Uh, and and so Ingalls' response, again, assuming that it was intended as a response to you know this particular essay, as opposed to just the general phenomenon of people with the becuting style position who you know would say, "Oh, we're anti-authority," um, is you know it seems to me that Ingalls' response is, "Well, hold on, guys." Um, that kind of authority, you know, manage, managerial authority, government authority is something that you're just not going to be able to do entirely without in a complex society that you, you, you need, uh, you know, that like any kind, any sort of project, uh, any enterprise that involves complex interaction by, uh, by, by lots of different people to, to accomplish the same task, uh, is, is going to have to involve some level of operational hierarchy and practice, like some people being authorized to make decisions and, and other people, you know, and, and other people having to, uh, to follow uh, those, uh, those decisions. And 
So it's not, you know, assuming that we're not all going to go live in our individual cabins in the woods, you know, we have to, to some extent, make our peace with it. But then I know I've been talking for a while, so I'll just say this and then throw the floor back to you. Um, you know, it, it seems to me that, that, you know, Ingalls's point is that, um, is that there is an important difference between, uh, between democratic you know, authority that like that there's some sort of democratic control over accountability uh, and 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 unaccountable uh, authority that, you know, that we can't, you know, that like we can't get rid of, like he says at one point later in the essay, if you if you want to say uh, I want to diminish authority to whatever extent is compatible, you know, with the uh, with the sort of nature of the task of running these complex organizations, then we can understand each other. Uh, but, uh, but he says, you know, short of that, right. I mean, you know, we, we do need some authority. We do need some operational hierarchy in practice. And, uh, this is where that, in fact, the line that JK Rowland is misquoted, uh, mm-hmm. c- comes in, right. Cause, cause he says, uh, that, uh, he says, uh, you know, that like when, you know, when he's, he's arguing, you know, with people who say they're against all authority or, you know, against all governing authority, whatever, you know, that kind of authority. Um, you know, he'll he'll say, look, if we have like ultra democratic councils and everything, like, you know, you're still, you know, j- just gets elected, it's still an authority. And the people he's reporting to talking to don't quite say what Bakunin says in the essay. What Bakunin says in the essay is, yep, and that's unacceptable, right? You know, Bakunin says like having like, Democrat like elected assemblies that's that's just as bad as uh, as uh, having as having kings you know they have a like he says he says that's just that's just going to be despotic too I utterly reject any sort of parliamentary assembly or anything whereas you know uh, the people Ingalls seems to be talking about have a more moderate position than Bakunin they say well uh, yeah it's okay to have have elected decision makers but that's a a commission entrusted. Uh, rather than authority, and he'd, he'd say, "Well, okay, you can use whatever word you want to describe it, but you are talking about people exercising authority, and I guess we're agreed now that that's legitimate." So that's, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's my reading of all of that. But I will, I will stop talking for a while so you can give me yours. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, whole, so with Bakunin, and I will have to jump back to the essay to get the exact um, phrasing, because I, th- I think you are a little mistaken in what he's talking about uh, with regards to political authority. Um, so I will agree with you, like with a straightforward reading of um, Engels here, um, not knowing the history of the conflict between anarchists and um, Marxists, um, you can come away with this basically being like, oh, you know, Engels is sitting here arguing with these crazy libertarians and don't want any authority whatsoever. And I really think that from the from like moment one, he is straw manning Bakunin and he's pretty much straw manning the entire anarchist movement. Um, so first he um, defines authority at the beginning is the imposition of the will of another upon ours on the other hand. Uh, on the other hand, authority presupposes subordination. I agree that authority uh, presupposes um, uh, presupposes subordination, but I do not ac- agree that authority necessarily is the un- imposition of the will on another. Someone can have authority and be voluntarily diverted to. So uh, it's, it's the difference between like 
someone um, listening to someone because they respect them, because they respect their position and, you know, what they have accomplished and someone being forced to um, agree with them via, you know, state violence or some other form of coercion. So really, the anarchists issue is not with authority. It is specifically with coercive hierarchy. Um, and when Bakunin talks about um, the, you'll hear this a lot of the time if you talk to anarchists. Um, he says, uh, "Does it follow that I do I, that I respect or that I reject all authority?" Perish the thought. In the um, matter of boots, I uh, I divert to the authority of the bootmakers. In the uh, matter of steams and you know, um, for special authority, I you know will divert to such and such such savant. But I do not recognize the authority of the bootmaker or the uh, savant or to be any kind of set and fixed authority, which must always be devoted, uh, you know, which you always have to divert to. Um, and I think this is really important. Um, if I recall, and I would have to pull up the essay, um, when you mentioned that he was talking specifically about the authority of governments, um, what he was talking about was not that, you know, the rejection of uh, the democratic process, because that's like 100% what anarchists are all about. Like we take democracy even further than liberal capitalists. Um, instead, what he's saying is, is that like, even if you created, for instance, a technocracy of scientists, uh, or even if you did, you know, wind up creating a nation where uh, representatives are elected through um, universal suffrage, um, you're still going to run into this problem where authority replicates itself. Um, and, and really, that's kind of the problem where authority moves through means of coercion from um, a authority that is mostly voluntary or at the very least earned and relevant to an authority that uh, has grown powerful enough that it is able to suppress, um, you know, all people who disagree with it. And I mean, yeah. you know, so, we have so, that, with so this, that problem with the state right now, even in universal suffrage, we've seen that the state primarily serves its wealthy and powerful constituents. And, um, you know, the rest of us are pretty much just here to serve them and their ends, um, you know, and once we become inconvenient to that, we either get abandoned or, you know, suddenly a war starts or something, you know? Yeah. So, so, so I, I really think that that's what Bakunin was talking about, um, specifically because, as we mentioned, you know, he was a revolutionary who literally fought uh, for, among other things, universal suffrage. Um, yeah, so I mean, which is certainly the first certainly thing that I've what, noticed um, is that you, uh, hold, hold, hold to on, get back hold to on authority. Just, just, um, with, uh, here. Sorry, I, I just wanted to I just wanted to cut in here for a second. Uh, so. Um, uh, so, yeah, I have a I, I just wanted to say um, on uh, on that. um so I'm a little bit confused about the straw manning accusation because because you say you know Ingalls is defining. It seems to me that you're saying two things that you know I don't really see how they fit together. The first is that Ingalls is defining authority specifically as coercive authority, which, by the way, I mean democracy is by its nature coercive authority. If you don't you know, which a lot of anarchists, not all anarchists, but there are certainly some anarchists who are very clear on that. That's why they'll say like, oh, I don't believe in democracy. I believe in consensus or whatever. And uh, a lot of what Bakunin, in fact, says in this essay seems to be 
seems to be very hostile towards, you know, saying that like um, that coercive authority is more legitimate because it's it's democratic. But you say, okay, so Ingalls is defining authority as coercive authority, uh, but then you're saying that that's um, but that's straw manning because there are other kinds of authority. There's uh, there's the um, you know that for example, there's voluntarily deferring to the authority of experts, but that's that does seem to be a, a separate kind of authority, but it's also not the kind of authority that Bakunin has a problem with. So even if we read Engels as responding to Bakunin, it, it does, I don't see where the straw manning comes in because, uh, uh, because uh, Bakunin, um, you know, because Engels, when he says, oh, these guys reject authority, uh, he's defining authority in precisely the terms that they reject. He's saying that they have a, that, um, that, they're rejecting authority in the sense of the imposition of the will on some, of some on others, uh, and uh, and so Ingalls isn't accusing Bakunin or anybody else of rejecting epistemic authority of of like rejecting the voluntarily deferred to authority of experts. Uh, that would be a straw man if he accused of that, right? But uh, but he's not accusing him of that, right? He's accusing him of rejecting coercive authority, the uh, the you know the political authority of some. Over others, uh, because Ingalls's position—I mean, you know, Ingalls and Marx are lifetime extraordinarily strong advocates of democracy. By the way, also very strong lifetime supporters of free speech, opponents of censorship, etc. But they have a—you uh, know—but Ingalls's position, as I would read it at least, you know, and I'd be very curious if you disagree—you know—disagree on this—is that you know, coercive authority is acceptable or at least a necessary evil and acceptable in that sense, um, you know, to the extent that it's necessary uh, if it it is democratically legitimate in a way that even bourgeois democracy is not because, as you say, the, you know, rich people, you know, capital exerts, you know, greater political influence and, and, and et cetera. So, so just going back to the first point, right, I, I just, you know, I just wasn't sure where the straw man is coming coming in because it doesn't seem to me that Bakunin is accusing or sorry, it doesn't seem to me that Ingalls is accusing Bakunin of rejecting the voluntarily deferred to authority of, of experts. It seems like he's defining authority very narrowly as exactly that thing that he and Bakunin are disagreeing about. Um, the first thing I'm going to say is I think the disagreement between um, the libertarian socialists uh, and, um, for lack of a better word, authoritarian socialists uh, or social state socialists, I suppose, that want to specifically use the state to build socialism. Um, the argument I don't think is actually in um, authority as Bakunin and um, Engels define it. I actually think they're on the same page with that. They're just using different words for the same thing. Um, I think where they diverge is specifically on strategy. Um, what's really important to understand about anarchism is that it is a... Anarchism is as much a process and as it is a means of analysis and philosophical and political tradition. Um, so if you want to see, like, what kind of authority anarchists accept and what kind of authority they reject, 
you don't just read the words of the thinkers, that's part of it, but you actually look at what anarchist movements do in physical reality, which is why I brought up uh, the PKK, YPG, and... Um, the, uh, okay, I, I don't. I don't think. I think this was all the part that uh, that got lost from the tactical glitch. Yeah. Okay. Good. So. So. Yeah. I brought up the PKK YPG. I brought up the Catalan anarchists and the Ukrainian anarchists. There, the 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 new society that those anarchists were building um, had a fundamental difference to it uh, in how they dealt with defense and, um, I guess, public safety. Uh, they built a, a organization that is similar to the state, but does not wield the kind of coercive authority that can be easily captured by a tiny overclass. Um, and so I think what the, the main argument between Bakunin and Marx uh, and Bakunin and, and Engels is, you know, they, they want to use state power to build socialism. And I understand why they want to do it, but I, I think, it's impossible, essentially, be, just because of the nature of the state and how its structure functions. So um, I, I, I actually think that, you know, as far as authority goes, they're, they're, I think they're actually in um, more uh, congruence than either of them realize. Uh, does that make sense? Uh, it does, but I'm not sure I agree. The reason I'm not sure I agree is that... Uh, and and I and I think part of the reason that you know I I've kind of always thought that Engels was making a good point in this essay and why, um, you know, ch reading the Bakunin essay didn't didn't change my mind about that, uh, mm -hmm. is that um, it's you know it does seem to me that a lot of things that you know people who say you know I'm an anarchist I'm an anti-authoritarian you know. Uh, uh, say, uh, suggests that, you know, having that, you know, authority, even democratically legitimate authority, uh, in that, in the precisely in the Engelsian sense, right? The, the, the will of some being imposed on the other, others, like, you know, even if we elect somebody or we all have a democratic vote and then, you know, we, you know, we, we, we make people, uh, follow, um, you know, follow what we we all agreed on that that's that that's illegitimate. That um, like which and there's certainly stuff that Bakunin says in his essay that that does seem to say that right. I mean, he says that like making laws that everybody will then have to follow is. I mean, like he it seems to me. I mean, like that he very directly says that making laws that everybody has to follow is not okay, even if it's a even if the the body making the law is a parliamentary assembly. That's uh, that's that's elected by universal suffrage. Mm -hmm. So um, I will. So I need to go back and look at that part of the essay. But I, I'm I'm like ninety percent sure you're misreading uh, Bakunin. Um, unfortunately, I got the on authority in front of me right now. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, Engels even kind of goes into it that because he, he says right here, and this is another th reason why I think you need to read between the lines with what he's saying, um, and he may be purposefully strawman because he he directly contradicts himself. Um, because what we have here is why do the anti-authoritarians not confine themselves to crying out against political authority and the state? Um, all socialists are in agreement uh, that the political state with its political authority will disappear as a result of a coming social revolution. Uh, this is, but the, uh, uh, but the anti-authoritarians demand the political state be abolished in one stroke. Now you notice that what he's doing is 
First, he says that why don't they just complain about the state? And then he goes back and acknowledges that they do complain about the state and that the state is their primary focus, uh, but he doesn't like the way they want it to be abolished. So again, I feel that the disagreement here, while seemingly cloaked in a conversation about the nature of authority and like how beneficial it is and how beneficial it isn't, um, is not the actual crux of the disagreement. Um, Bakunin, yeah, so so I'm looking at and by the way, the, there's a link to the Bakunin essay in the in the description on this. If you click on that, like more at the top, uh, you can mm-hmm. can just uh, click over to it there. But uh, but Bakunin says um, that uh, in uh, the uh, so um, yeah, I'm pulling this uh, up on the anarchist library here. Um, uh, we- so um the uh the folks says we the live the magic of live uh radio. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh so uh so he has um uh that you know like like he does seem to me that he very directly says uh uh the you know what is true of scientific academies is true also true of all constituent legislative assemblies even those chosen by universal suffrage uh in uh, the latter case they may, may renew their composition is true but this does not prevent the formation of a few years time of a body of politicians privileged in fact though not law who devoted themselves exclusively to the direction of public affairs Country finally formed part of political aristocracy or oligarchy, uh, mm-hmm. witnessed the United States of America and Switzerland. Consequently, no external legislation and no authority, uh, mm-hmm. one for that matter being, uh, being inseparable from the other, and both tended to uh, the servitude of society and the degradation of legislators themselves. And and then, so that that certainly sounds like the idea that any sort of parliament or constituent or legislative assembly passing laws and people having to follow them is is something he's objected to in itself, which does sound very much like the the Ingelsian definition of authority as the thing that he's rejecting. And then he then he says, you know, does it follow that I reject all authority? And this would be the place where if he was going to be like, oh, authority is okay if it's democratically legitimate or if it, if it respects certain rights that, you know, that, that, uh, that are inalienable or whatever, any of the sort of standard caveats that somebody might give, he would give it. But instead he goes on to say, Oh no, I don't reject all authority and then change the subject completely from coercive mm-hmm. authority uh, to, to like epistemic authority, which I mean, to my mind doesn't even belong in the same essay. It's just a separate subject that you know whether well, you like i think the the reason the essay takes this form um is because bakunin is responding to sort of the um jordan peterson top lobster argument um that, that there there are always people usually conservatives that when we talk about making society more free um insist that the way society is right now is the only way it can ever be and it is a natural law um, so that's why he, he's kind of talking about natural laws. Um, 
you know, that that's where he's going. So he basically goes like from natural law to uh, ideas about um, scientific um, uh, technocracies. Uh, and then he, he points out that the same issue uh, that trips up um, scientific technocracies also trips up liberal democracies, which, yeah, that's very true. Um, you know, he says here, it is the care. So if I'm going to jump up right here, the greatest scientific genius from the moment that he becomes an academia and an officially licensed savant inevitably declines and lapses into sleep. He, by the way, that's not a dig at you, Ben. That's <laughs> just Bakunin. <laughs> Um, he, he loses his spontaneity, his revolutionary heart, hardihood, and that troublesome and savage energy that characterizes the nature of, of the grandest geniuses ever to, called to destroy obsolete worlds and lay the foundations of new ones. Um, and then jumping down here, he says, um, he undoubtedly gains in politeness and in utilitarian and practical wisdom what he loses in power of thought, in, in a, and in a word, he becomes corrupted. And he, here's the important thing about that. It is the characteristic of privilege and of every privileged position to kill the mind and heart of men. The, pri the, the privileged man, whether politically or economically, is a man deprived intellectually and morally. That is a social law that admits no exception and is applicable to entire nations as well as classes, companies, and individuals. It is the law of equality, the supreme condition of liberty and humanity. Um, the principle uh, it basically says that um, the reason he's writing this is to elaborate and demonstrate uh, on the truth of this in manifestations of human life. And then he comes down to this part, the technocracy, a scientific body which has been confided the government of society would soon end by no longer occupying itself with science at all but with quite another business. And that business, the business of all established powers, would be to perpetuate itself by rendering the society confided to its care ever more stupid and consequently more in need of its government and direction. So what he's arguing here is that you take a technocrat and you put those technocrats into the position of uh, you know, being a, an oligarchy or a king or whatever, they're going to naturally be corrupted by the privilege and power that they get and that they will then um, wind up ruling over society in a, um, in a foolish and brutal, often brutal manner. That, that, that's, what he's going at, uh, that's what he's going after. And he's basically saying when he goes down to the universal suffrage, he says, but with that which is true of scientific academies is also true of all constituents and legis legislative assemblies, even when they are the result of universal suffrage. Universal suffrage may renew their composition, it is true, but this does not prevent the formation in a few years' time of a body of politicians privileged in fact, uh, though not by right, who, devoting themselves exclusively to the direction of the public affairs of the country, finally yeah, form... Yeah, that's the paragraph we just heard, yeah. So, so then he yeah. says... Does that mean I don't reject, I reject all authority? And then he says, no, I don't. And then he explains the kind of authority he doesn't reject is the voluntarily deferred to authority of experts. And, and the reason I was bringing that up is that it seems to me that uh, having, that um, if he was going to say, oh, I don't because I think it's okay to have authority within constitutional limits or it's okay to have authority if it's truly democratic or something like that, uh, mm -hmm. instead of saying any of that, he says, no, I don't reject all authority in the sense that 
I don't reject epistemic authority, but of course that's not, um, you know, well, like, like that's, that's no part of what's in dispute uh, between, so, between, between him and, and, and Ingalls, right. They, that between mm-hmm. him, between like him or any anarchist in general and, and the people you're calling state socialists earlier that like, they have a, like, like that, you know, uh, tech, like, uh, like yes, I, I think I think something that he and Ingalls are going to agree about, and something you and I are going to agree about, and so even if there are people who disagree with it in their context, which would be an interesting discussion, it doesn't strike me as like sort of important for our purposes now. Is that um, intellectual division of labor and listening to experts about the things they have expertise on is fine. Another thing I think we're you know that Ingalls, Bakunin, you and I are all going to agree about is that like te- technocracy like empowering the all-powerful scientific board to, to decide what happens is not fine, right? Those were all points of agreement. But yeah. where, there's the, where there's going to be disagreement, uh, I think, is going to be on uh, are, there, are there cases in which uh, coercive authority uh, is okay, that, you know, that, that it's, it's legitimate to have like a legislative assembly or whatever that like passes a law. I mean – and so, that people, so, people have to follow the law. And Bakunin's, everything Bakunin says in the essay certainly sounds like no. And and I think that, I, and in a way, to me, even the point about how uh, there have been, like, if you look at the, you know, YPG or, you know, Revolutionary Catalonia or these other examples, uh, that, you know, that there was, you know, I mean, coercive democratic authority authority like maybe it's more maybe it's more democratic than in other kinds of societies and i don't want to i don't want to sort of disparage the importance of that right but that there is important coercive democratic authority in a way to me that makes ingles's point for it right that that ingles's yeah. point point is like guys you're not going to be able to to get a, get away from this i mean like like you're mm-hmm. you know like if if uh you know, like if any of those revolutionary battles that Bakunin was fighting in, right, if they won, right, I mean, what they're doing is they're using force to uh, to, to impose their will on, yeah. uh, on their, their defeated enemies. You know, the, like he's bringing up the Paris Commune because the Paris Commune is something that both both he and the people he's criticizing alike supported, right? And it's it's definitely – it's definitely was in the business of using, you know, coercive political authority. And so it says, like, I, this is – you know, coercive political authority is is just going to be a reality, and you know, and um, and we, we we sort of can't do everything by consensus. I mean, sometimes you have to uh, to vote and then make people go along with whatever you uh, you decided on, or sometimes you have to empower somebody. You know, even if you're democratically empowering them, this is again what J.K. Rowling is misunderstanding the uh, that uh, you know just just saying that's a commission entrusted doesn't change the fact that we're still talking about coercive authority. And so, so, so as I would read it, at least, Bakunin mm-hmm. seems to be down on coercive authority in general, even when it's democratic. Ingalls, uh, I, I think, thinks that coercive, you know, coercive authority is necessary in a, in a ra- whole range of situations, although he would certainly prefer that it was democratic. So yeah. I mean, maybe that would be the sort of most useful kind of place to, to see if like, just on that real simplistic kind of two sentence description, like where you're getting off the bus. 
Yeah. So, so there are people who are not real anarchists that actually do think the way that you you seem to think Bakunin is thinking. Um, you know, they will oftentimes call themselves voluntarists. They're intensely annoying. Um, what Bakunin is talking about, it's obvious that he's not saying you can't ever use coercive authority or even coercive violence, because what did he do? He fought in a revolution. Um, the issue I think that's happening here is, is that Bakunin is making an argument, and I think what, what you're missing is uh, when he talks about the authority of the bootmaker in the matter of boots and the authority of the, uh, you know, uh, in the matter of trains, the architect, the engineer, whatever. Anarchists traditionally define um, valid property rights as being created by occupation and use. And this goes back to Proudhon, who, who came before Bakunin. Um, so the way an anarchist will, will say, like, if someone has authority over, say, a factory, it is the, the, the only people that should have that authority are the people who work in the factory, that physically possess it and physically use it, as opposed to a, a tiny class, ownership class which enforces its will and its ownership on that uh, by means of physical force uh, via the state. Um, you know, if, for instance, because people will say a lot of time, they're like, oh, you know, how can you get past the state? Uh, or I'm sorry, how can you get past, like, the issue of property? How do you figure things out uh, in a stateless society? In a stateless society, if you eliminate the primary institution that, possesses a monopoly over the justified use of force and uses that to secure and defend valuable property. Once that goes, the property naturally drops into the hands of those who physically possess it and use it. If there's not a, if there's not a police force that will come in and uh, kick somebody out of their house for not paying their rent, then the owner, any, any amount of money or ownership that the person in the house gives to their landlord would be voluntary. And if they stopped paying, the landlord would not have the physical ability to kick them out. So who who actually owns the property? It's the people that own the property, not the elite. So, uh, you know, he's, I agree that I don't think he makes this point very well. And I think it's because he thinks Bakunin, or, or I'm sorry, he thinks um, Engels already understands this. Um, which, you know, we could say whether he did or didn't, um, you know, I, am sure there, JK Rowling certainly understands a lot of things that she pretends she doesn't, um, specifically because it makes her ideology, uh, more feel like it has more gravitas behind it. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that Bakunin, um, when he talks specifically about the authority of the bootmaker, he's just assuming because anarchism is so rooted in the workers' movement that everybody knows what he's talking about, and clearly they don't. So I'll, I'll say bad on Bakunin there for um, uh, his his argument. Yeah, so the authority of the bootmaker didn't read to me like he's talking about the authority of the bootmaker to like own his own means of production, which would be like kind of a, you know, an interesting claim that, you know, that would be relevant to, I mean, not that, you know, whether or not Ingalls yeah. is directly responding to Bakunin, Bakunin is certainly not writing specifically for Ingalls. He's writing for the world in general. Right. But they have a, uh, he's, um, but he says, um, the, uh, that, you know, the bootmaker, um, 
you know, says, uh, you know, does it follow that I reject all authority? Far from me such a thought. In the matter of boots, I refer to the authority of bootmakers concerning houses, canals, or railroads. I consult that of the architect or the engineer. And so the fact that, you know, if, if we're just talking about the bootmaker, I can kind of see the reading that he's talking about, like, you know, the authority of the guy who is in possession and, and using the bootmaking equipment to decide, you know, which boots to make and, you know, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, but the fact that he's talking about architects and engineers rather than like railroad workers, um, you know, certainly. I think, he, I think he considers engineers to be railway, railway workers, but yeah, I would well, agree. Okay. But, but I mean, like whether or not engineers are railway workers, the, the fact that he's talking about engineers specifically, not railway workers in general, uh, mm -hmm you know, would strongly suggest that what he's talking about here is not sort of property rights based on occupancy and use. What he's talking about is uh, what he's talking about is, is epistemic authority that, you know, trusting people to know what they're talking about. Like the, the next sentence after that is for such and such special knowledge, I apply to such and such uh, savant, uh, you know, and then he, then the second reference to bootmakers, he says, but I allow, Neither the bootmaker nor the architect nor savant to impose his authority on me. I listen to them freely with all the respect merited by their intelligence, their character, their knowledge, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then he uh, kind of says some, I do my own research stuff about how he, he shops around uh, for, uh, for different opinions. But, uh, but they, all of that stuff is about authority in the sense of like, uh, in the sense of like trustworthiness, right? Authority yeah. in the sense that like, you know, you, people have knowledge and you should like voluntarily listen to them about, yeah. ab about their knowledge. Right. But, but what's, and I'm not saying that's not an interesting subject. It is right. But I think that that sort of discussion about epistemology is a little bit different from the sort of the thing that Bakudin and Ingalls are going to disagree on, uh, which is what kinds of coercive political authority, if any, are, mm -hmm. uh, are acceptable. Legitimate. Yeah, yeah and, legitimate. Yeah, exactly. The best way to get rid of them. Um, no, I get that. Um, so again, as I said, I think Bakunin is just taking it as a given um, because again, like Proudhon was all about direct worker ownership of their means of production, or you know, um, that that has always been kind of the core of anarchist ideology and. Obviously, Bakunin's not writing for uh, just random people. He's specifically writing for other radicals uh, involved in the First International and beyond. Um, but I, like I said, I think I think that could have been phrased better, and he could have elaborated on that. But to, to bring it back to on authority, and this is the really worries me, um, and kind of gives me pause. Um, so he says. Uh, they demand the first act of a social revolution shall be the abolition of authority. Have these gentlemen ever seen a revolution? A revolution is certainly the most authoritarian thing there is. It is the act by which one part of the population imposes its will upon the other part by means of rifles. Now, first off, this is incredibly, um, I, I think, arrogant on, on Engels' part, because, again, obviously, 
Bakunin literally fought in a revolution and did all of those things. And, and now I know that he also did all of those things. So clearly that's not what Bakunin means when, when he talks about issues with authority. You could say that maybe Bakunin is just completely incoherent, but I, I, I don't think we can argue that point. You know, the, the major thinkers of all of these, um, you know, world and time spanning, uh, you know, leftist ideologies they're not madmen. They're not people who are just going to constantly contradict. It's not like Bakunin is Donald Trump, you know, but this is where it gets really worried and why I think that you have to read between the lines with, um, uh, with uh, on authority and, and angles. He says, um, so population imposes will upon the other by means of rifles, bayonets, and cannon authoritarian means if they're, be at all and if the victorious party does not want to have fought in vain and here it is it must maintain this rule by means of terror which its arms inspire in the reactionists now who it is i find it very very interesting um that engels immediately thinks that it is that, that the revolution will succeed by means of a minority enforcing its will. Oh, wait, wait. I'll just violence. stop you right there. He, he never yeah. says or, or implies minority. I mean, it's, and, it's, and, and there, and there are and there are numerous statements that Marx and Engels make all over the place where they say the opposite. Well, he he set it up. Uh, he said it earlier in the essay, though, didn't he? No, nope, I mean, no, he didn't. Where, where does he say it earlier in the essay? I mean, I, uh, this, this would this would be genuinely shocking to me if yeah. Engels anywhere said that revolutions were about a minority imposing. It's will on the uh, on, on the majority because because normally he, he and Marx uh, are make a very big deal of saying exactly mm -hmm. the opposite, right? So, for example, you know something I was just looking at earlier today, you know, one of the sort of key passages uh, in um, in uh, in Capital uh, in the next, you know, at the end of the next to last chapter. After you yeah. know, Marx has finished talking about so, the, enclo the enclosures and all that, he says the transformation of scattered private property resting on personal labor of the individuals themselves, the capitalist private property, is naturally an incomparably more protect protracted, violent, and difficult process than the transformation of capitalist private property, which uh, in fact already rests in the carried out of production by society and social property. In the former case, it's a matter of the expropriation of the mass of people by a few usurpers, but in this case, we have the expropriation of a few usurpers by the mass of people. I mean, like that's, that's normally the way they talk. So I'd be really curious about where you're well, getting minority. I, I think he, he kind of says it like subtly here. And, it, and it, I was looking for it because it is where I'm getting that from is that he says one, whereby one part of the population imposes its will upon the other part by means of rifles, bayonets, and cannons. So this is true. But um, and I, though I wouldn't necessarily say those are authoritarian me means, he hasn't literally said a minority. But when he goes into that, uh, for if and if the victorious party does not want to have fought in vain, it must maintain this rule by means of terror by which the arms inspire in the reactionists. So if the if the revolution really succeeded and had the overwhelming support of the populace, the group that carried out the revolution would not need to impose those things on itself by means of terror. Um, you know, if, the terror, I mean, I mean, I think his exact phrasing is important here. 
because uh, what he says is the terror that its arms that they uh, what's give me the phrase again the uh, the terror by means of the terror which its arms inspire in the reactionists yeah the t- the terror which its arms inspire in the reactionists uh, is is a is a very um, I mean, to me at least, that doesn't sound like you know um, the you know terror like the terror by which means of its arms opposed to the reactionists is like that. That sounds to me like don't try a counter revolution because you're going to lose. Uh, that the that like we we, we have we, we have superior arms, and and I also think it's relevant. You know, if we're if we're thinking about um, you know if we're thinking about Ingalls's views on this stuff in in general. I mean, I I just uh, like uh here's um uh, you know like this is just you know i mean this is all just stuff like i'm i'm not sort of you know the spirit in which i'm bringing the stuff up is just like uh you know here's some uh here's some stuff that i happen to have seen recently that seems relevant you know but uh mm-hmm. he uh he says um but like here's a quote from a letter that Ingalls uh, that Ingalls wrote by Marx uh, to Marx in 1870. So that's that's two years before uh, that's two years before uh, he wrote his on, on authority, uh, mm-hmm. and um, he uh, uh, he says uh, the problematic part of this passage you're about to read is that he's bashing French people, but. Uh, these, uh, these perpetual little panics, the French, which rise from fear of the moment that they'll have to lose truth, uh, give one a better idea of the reign of terror. Uh, so now he is talking about the French Revolution. Um, we think of this as the reign of people who inspire terror. On the contrary, it is the reign of people who are themselves terrified. Terror consists mostly of useless cruelties perpetrated, perpetrated by frightened people in order to, uh, to, uh, to reassure themselves. Um, so it's, uh, um, you know, the that the Committee of Public Safety was so afraid it, it started lopping heads. Is, is, is yeah, that yeah. the right? So, so the next the next sentence after that is I'm convinced that the blame for the reign of terror in 1793 lies almost exclusively with the over nervous bourgeois demeaning himself as a patriot. The small petty bourgeois beside themselves with fright of the mob of Riffraff and knew how to profit from the terror. These are just the class classes in the present minor terror. Uh, the present minor terror is a reference to this is pre Paris Commune. Uh, this is this is about the uh, uh, this is yeah this is in eighteen seventy so uh, so it's a year before the Commune. I do not know enough about the ins and outs of the later stages of the Franco Prussian War and the Declaration of Republican stuff to know what what stage of that he's talking about in this. But the uh, but but in other words like. You know, it it seems like he he's got a pretty dismissive attitude towards you know the um, you know says that you know that he describes the terror of the French Revolution as you know useless cruelties per- perpetuated by frightened people, which makes me think that he probably uh, he probably doesn't mean uh, the um, that like when he talks about the terror by which the force of its arms inspire in in the reactionists, I mean that that sounds that sounds to me like less like oh let's set up a committee of public safety and start executing people mm-hmm. left and right that that sounds that sounds more um... I, you know I, i'm not saying that he's saying that i'm i'm seeing the the problem is is that i am seeing um i guess themes 
um, and, and currents that, you know, somewhat foreshadow where authoritarian Marxism, authoritarian communism went, you know, through, through the Marx-Leninist movement, um, you know, so I, I think that there, the DNA of it is here and we're seeing a little bit of it. And, and the reason why, again, is because I, I think he has started out the essay, um, you know, responding to a point that Bakunin didn't actually make and why I called it straw manning. The other thing that's really interesting yeah, so, here. Sorry, 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 what's the part that you think has responded to a point that Bakunin didn't actually make? And, and I mean, um, like, like yeah. right at the beginning, right at the beginning of the essay, um, where he says, um, uh, where is it here? We could not create another social system in which this authority would be given no scope any longer and would consequently have to disappear. And Bakunin, right at the beginning of the essay, specifically says that the liberty of man, that the liberty of man depends that they obey natural laws. So yeah, if it is... I don't see how one is related to the other. I mean, there's, there's just like, like Engels, Engels is talking about the coercive, about coercive political authority. I mean, yeah, could have in that sentence is talking about coercive political authorities. He's talking about like, well, obviously you have to follow the law. You know, there's, there's no escaping the laws of nature. Uh, yeah, but you can but, you can read the idea that we cannot escape coercive authority as a law of nature. Um, I would. I, and I, that's, I gotta say that seems like a stretch to me. I mean, they have a uh, that's that's like I think it's relevant. You, you know, you you hear Jordan Peterson talk about it all the time. Um, you know, you've got Engels here, um, and like even at, at the end where he goes on to say, like, would the Paris Commune have lasted a single day if it had not made use of this authority of the armed people against the bourgeoisie? Like the Paris Commune didn't fall because they were hippies and, and, and didn't arm themselves enough. The, 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 the commune fell because they were disconnected from the rest of the city. Uh, they were isolated and Prussia and Prussians released thousands of professional French POWs trained under Napoleon III to crush them. So, 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 the, so the criticism that I think Engels is making when he, when he says that the commune, you know, wouldn't have lasted at all uh, if they hadn't engaged in, you know, they, if they hadn't engaged in, you know, violent, coercive, uh, you know, exercises of authority hadn't armed up, as you said. But like when he says that they, they should have done more of it, I think that the relevant context there is uh, the civil war in France. They, uh, the, you know, mm -hmm. Marx's pamphlet about, uh, about the commune, uh, that, um, sort of composed his addresses to the first international about it, uh, where, where he basically, you know, basically Marx says that they should have, they should have marched on Versailles, uh, right away instead of um instead of just kind of hoping for you know some kind of accommodation with the the versailles government that they would like get them to recognize them or whatever and just yeah. run paris now i take your point by the way like like mm -hmm. i don't you know i think that you're probably right that like you know being like grimly realistic about it um Probably, if the communards had done what Marx and Engels wanted them to do, they still would have lost because, like, yeah. they were they were they were faced with with like overwhelming odds. So I think you're probably right about that, mm -hmm. right? But like, I think that the, um, you know, and you know, whatever. I think it's like very hard for people to admit that causes they care about a lot, you know, have like no no chance of of victory. Uh, but the, sure. but well, like, I mean, I'll, I'll point out also, uh, you know, well, well but, but, but I just. Just, just to wrap up the point real quickly, I was just going to say that it's like that's still that's not like a that's not like a claim that the that the the commune 
like again should have been you know should have been like um you know should have been a bunch, of, a bunch of show trials and guillotines you know yeah. that they uh it's 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 the it's the claim that they they should have been more militarily aggressive which you know again i think might still be a bad analysis i don't necessarily disagree with you about that right but i mean but i mean i i think that the you know since the primary subject is not like you know what could the paris commune have done to survive <laughs> you know on, on which the you know the depressing truth might be nothing uh but the uh the uh but like what's the the sort of what's the point that like Ingalls and Bakuda disagree about uh and 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 like who's right about that disagreement and like and, and, and it seems to me that what Ingalls is doing whether he's addressing specifically Bakuda or you know like just people who would call themselves anti-authoritarians libertarian socialists in general uh in in this essay is sort of reminding them like hey guys here are cases where we agree we agree that the Paris Commune was good but come on, guys, wasn't that coercive political authority? Uh, we agree that that revolutions are good. But come on, guys, is, is it a revolution? One part of the population, you know, imposing its will by force of arms on you know on on the other part, and and that you know it's it's, it's not obvious to me that that's a bad argument. Uh, and and I guess I, I guess the other thing I'd, I would just I would just say, and then you know we've been we've been going on for quite some time now, so I I, I wonder after I say it maybe. I'll just kind of throw to you for the last couple of minutes to sort of have the last word is like the, the reason I find, um, you know, all right. I'm not convinced that I'm not convinced that Ingalls is strong adding Bakudin's point about, uh, cause I, I, I'm not sure either that the part about natural law at the beginning or the part about epistemic authority at the end, I'm not sure either of those are really relevant to the thing that Ingalls and Bakudin are disagreeing about. So, so I'm, I'm not convinced that it's strong adding, but beyond that, cause I can understand somebody might listen to this and be like, okay, I, I've, I've spent the last hour listening to, to two nerds like <laughs> talk about like exactly which of these essays from the 1870s, you know, was like saying why, like whether, whether one of these essays from the 1870s was misrepresenting the other essay from the 1870s. And, you know, I just don't give a shit. And I understand that, right? Uh, but I, I think that one reason it, it might have continuing relevance and, and interest, right, is that I think this whole question of uh, of how much operational hierarchy you need to get shit done, uh, given complex complex societies and complex tasks, and uh, and and how important democracy is, and how and whether like it's okay for democratic for democratically legitimate authorities to to sort of impose their decisions and all these stuff. I mean, I think these are really enduringly relevant questions because given the kind of thing that leftists, whether the kind of leftists who like Bakuda better, or the kind of leftists who like Engels better, given the kind of thing that we object to about capitalism, you know, that they, that uh, there's sort of, um, that there's this degree of subordination and hierarchy that we find unacceptable within capitalism. I, I think, I think what Ingalls is saying here is like very relevant to what I would think of as sort of getting serious about, okay, but like, does that mean that we could go to zero coercive authority? What kinds of authority are legitimate? All of that stuff. And that's the part that's interesting to me. But with that, I'm going to shut up and give the last couple minutes of talking about Ingalls and Bakuda to you. And if you want to, at the end, sort of wrap it into uh, to, to promoting your stuff, that's cool too.
Yeah, that's cool. Do we, do we also want to take questions? I can stay longer if you need me to. Uh, I think at this point, uh, it's actually been a really interesting <laughs> discussion, but we've gone pretty long. So I think, uh, I think we should probably, I think we should yeah. probably just, just, just kind of, yeah, like wrap up with yeah. you getting the last word on this and then go into the, the Indiegogo and all that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and like, it, it's very important also, in my opinion, with this to, to appreciate the, um, uh, appreciate the context that these were in. Um, and somebody in the audience can probably find this or I'll look it up afterwards, but you, you look at what, ba you look at Bakunin's objection to Marx and in that objection, you can see, you know, he's, he's actually right <laughs> in a lot of ways, not necessarily of Marx himself, but of re future revolutionaries that Marx would go on to, um, uh, inspire, you know, um, so what really gets on me here is I think that he starts the essay by saying that authority presupposes subordination, um, but he also defines it as the imposition of the will of another upon ours. So he is literally, and I don't know if he realizes it, but he's talking about violence. He, he is talking about coercion. And I, I, I'm not convinced, and I, I, you may tell me something different here, but I don't see... Uh, Engels allowing free speech, for instance, when, when, when he takes over. I don't see Engels allowing, um, you know, the formation of parties that do not fit the, 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 the line. And now, if I'm wrong about that, somebody please get me on, because I would love to be wrong about it. Um, but right here where he says, you know, would the Paris Commune have lasted a single day if it had not made use of this authority of the armed people against the bourgeoisie? Should we not, on the contrary, reproach it for not having used it freely enough? He is saying that we should reproach them from not being for not being violent enough. Um, now, obviously, that's not possible. There's no way that they possibly could have um, defeated um, the, the military force that was marshaled against them. Um, but also, he's completely wrong in this uh, in, in this uh, assumption about the use of violence, and this has been directly disproven by. Tolstoy, the world's most famous anarchist, uh, who went on to inspire Gandhi, who went on to inspire Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Nonviolence has had, oddly enough, a larger revolutionary impact in many ways than violent revolution. Um, and, and I think that Engels, uh, his tendency to excuse authority immediately um, to ignore, you know, the to to miss or ignore what the anarchists are actually saying about authority, and and instead kind of make sort of a Jordan Peterson top lobster point. I, I think we can see the roots of where certain aspects of Marxism go went wrong. Now, I don't want to, I don't think, for instance, that Engels was a, a despot. I don't think he probably, you know, I I don't see him being the guy you know, as you put out that, you know, suddenly orders the terror. Yeah. But I do think he is entirely too comfortable with terror and, and he's too unwilling to admit that the way a revolution can be won and can be enforced is not necessarily through force of arms, but through widespread adoption of revolutionary ideals. Um, I think that, you know, ultimately reactionaries and fascists are cowards. And, I, you know, you get into a position where 90% of the population want something to go one way and 
10% or one, probably more 1% wants it to go another, uh, the only way that that 1% can keep things going is, is specifically um, to, uh, to use violence and the threat of violence to enforce their privileges. And I think you can see Bakunin's analysis deals directly with this. And I will agree, though, that, you know, he gets kind of purple prosy. Um, yeah. So, so thank you, Ben. Um, do you want to say anything before I, before I plug my, uh, my thing? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm not going to. Oh, Did we get disconnected again? Oh, no. Oh, no. Can you not hear me? I didn't hear you. Yeah, go. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, um, I don't. You know, well, okay, because because you did ask to be corrected, but I also said I'd give you the last word, so I think I'm going to compromise here by just doing like the two sentence version of this. Uh, I think that the uh, I think that uh, I absolutely think that Ingalls supports free speech in multi party elections. I see no hint in this essay or anywhere else in in his or Marx's writings that either of them would be against those things. Uh, I do think that they probably are less optimistic about. Um, nonviolent revolution that you are at least in situations where um where uh there's uh people are being ruled over by uh by undemocratic states and that's um that's like three sentences i'm I'm just gonna stop there and uh and uh and throw it back to you and if you want to respond to that you can respond to it and and you can also uh promote the stuff you got to promote yeah, absolutely. Okay, so guys, um, I, I think I'll just say that, you know, the British Raj was non-democratic. Um, you know, the Jim Crow South was explicitly non-democratic. Um, you know, the, the world that uh, Tolstoy grew up, the Russia that Tolstoy had was one of the most brutal and authoritarian ways of life that you possibly could have. And each time, um, you know, by sheer force of numbers, um, nonviolent revolution has been successful. You can say, you know, there needs to be violence involved with that. Yeah, but, but that, that makes the argument then about specifically when should violence be used, how much of it should be used, and, what, and, and in what way is violence um, justified. And I, and I feel what I'm getting from this essay is that um, I, I would say that Engel seems much more comfortable with the use of violence to maintain the revolution than uh, Bakunin or Kapratkin, ironically enough. Um, though, again, also, they all fought. So obviously, violence matters a lot. So, and on that note, um, if you know, I am the author of uh, the comic series Derudi, Shadow of the People, about uh, one of the most fascinating people to ever live, um, anarchist Buenaventura de Rudy, um, who is the guy that defeated the fascists in Barcelona and led an army of 10,000 anarchists against Franco in Madrid. Uh, the second issue of it has been funded. Uh, in this issue, Derudi, it actually chronicles a real-life meeting between Derudi and uh, Ukrainian anarchist Nestor Makhno, uh, who commanded the Black Army uh, and probably got the closest to a stateless society that like a stable stateless society than anyone has in history. Um, reading his biography now, and I'm going to be creating a small uh, film about his life, uh, just a little biopic because it's fascinating. But if you guys want to get a hold of these comic books um, and you also uh, want to help people in Ukraine, 
um, resist, um, you know, the imposition of uh, um, aggressive military power. And I'm, I'm talking specifically about civilians, those injured and, dis, uh, and um, dispersed by this war. Uh, 30% of every pledge on the Indiegogo that I've got right there um, will go to Rezom for Ukraine, which is a top-rated charity uh, that engages in on-the-ground mutual aid, um, you know, uh, specifically with the aid of, um, of providing life-saving care to uh, Ukrainian civilians who have been injured and also uh, important cultural work. So do go down there and, and please, guys, pledge. Um, I need to, our goal is small. It's only uh, $1,500, um, and I'm hoping it explodes from there. But, uh, yeah, please go in and pledge, and if we don't hit our goal, you will not be charged, so you don't have to worry about it. Um, and you'll get a very cool cover uh, that has uh, Daruti uh, looking back on Nestor Machno's um, radical past, uh, specifically with regards to the Tachanka which um, is a Gatling gun mounted on a horse cart um, that uh, Machno used uh, to, to great effect. He actually destroyed armies 20 times his size with, with, um, with Tachankas. So, yeah, anyway, check it out. And uh, thank you very much. And also, you know, subscribe to Ben uh, and uh, check out and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Follow me on Kickstarter. Uh, thanks. All right. Thanks, Brent. I'm uh, going to leave it off there for today. Uh, for uh, tomorrow on the main show on YouTube, I'm uh, going to be talking to Luke Savage about his article about how the right keeps getting George Orwell wrong. Looking forward to that. Starts at 8 p.m. Uh, EST tomorrow. Uh, check it out. Left is